Hi, I'm Ken Navarro, and welcome to my podcast, All About the Music. I'm doing a number of podcasts to celebrate the release of my brand new album, Music for Guitar and Orchestra. I'm having conversations with different musicians who each had a lot to do with the recording of this brand new music. So today, I've got two special guests, and this is a first for me. Usually when I do a a podcast, it's a conversation with one person, uh, and myself, of course. But today I had two special guests. The first is a wonderful cellist named Marianne Perkel. Marianne is an extremely experienced performer, having played many concerts and recorded in many different kinds of musical situations. She's performed with many orchestras in the Washington, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area, not least of which is the Annapolis Symphony Orchestra, the Fairfax Symphony Orchestra, and she's also worked with the Richmond Symphony Orchestra, and again, I I could go on. There's quite a few orchestras she's played with. She's also had a great deal of experience recording, which was critical to um, the work on my album. And uh, as you're going to find out, she also had a great deal to do with the hiring of the orchestra that appeared on the album with me. Specifically, she had a lot to do with the strings, the violins, the violas, and the cellos. Marianne is a virtuoso cellist herself, so her standards for string players are quite high, as you can imagine. But this project, as we're going to discuss, had special needs because we needed players who were comfortable in many genres of music, um, to say the least. My second guest is Marianne's husband, Dave Perkel. And Dave is uh, he's a trombonist, uh, another virtuoso musician uh, like Marianne and all the musicians that we had. But Dave is special because his credits for classical music are matched only by the length of his credits as a jazz musician. So from a classical standpoint, he's played with the National Symphony Orchestra, the Kennedy Center Opera House Orchestra, the Harrisburg Symphony, the San Antonio Symphony Orchestra. It could go on and on. But he's also had quite a few jazz performances and recordings, including working with Chris Potter, Branford Marsalis, Diane Schur. Again, the list goes on and on. And Dave was critical, like Marianne was, in helping to hire the very special orchestra that we got to record music for guitar and orchestra with me. So without further ado, let me introduce these great players, two people that I'm also happy to call my friends, Dave Perkel and Marianne Perkel. Well, with me today, uh, as you heard in my introduction, are two very fine musicians, uh, Dave Perkel and Mary Ann Perkel. Welcome. Thank you for coming to my studio and uh, uh, putting yourself through my grilling questions. <laughs> Thanks so <laughs> much. Thanks for having us. <laughs> now, kind of an interest to my listeners is uh, I, until doing this album, I didn't know either Dave or Mary Ann, but then I met Mary Ann when we did a rehearsal of my music with the Piedmont Symphony Orchestra, which is in uh, Warrington, Virginia. And then Dave and I, I think we exchanged some emails about the music, but it wasn't until we did the sessions that I really got to know both of them a bit. And then I find out the first day of the sessions that they're moving to our neighborhood. So, <laughs> so you know, we're, we're fast becoming good friends. And Small it just, world. Yeah, and it just seems so obvious to bring you both here uh, to do this, not only because of your involvements, uh, your key involvements as musicians, 
but also you were working with Dan LaMaestra, um, uh, who was my copyist and, you know, contractor and associate producer. And, uh, and you had a relationship with, with Dan, too. Uh, so you were doing a lot of the musician contracting as well. Uh, and in fact, that's kind of where I want to start, because to me, you know, this was an element that I was definitely out of my comfort zone. Uh, when it comes to hiring the musicians I've always used on my other records, you know, it, it's it's been relatively easy. Uh, this was like, I don't even know where to start. So um, I, I, one of my first questions, and, you know, we start by asking you, Marianne, was uh, what was it like with this particular music trying to find the right musicians particularly i would imagine the string players since you know i I, as i mentioned in my introduction you're a cellist um but i would think that was where a lot of your best contacts were with with string players how did this music um challenge you in terms of saying well that's a good player but not the right one for this music or this is a player that i might not think is absolutely the best um I don't want to pick on a particular instrument, but man, they're perfect for this, you know, or they're going to bring something to this that a lot of other people might not, not bring. Right. Um, I would say that first of all, I I wanted to, to pick musicians that I had either played with on a, on a number of occasions or colleagues of mine had played Mm -hmm. with and could vouch for. Right. So I didn't really feel too comfortable about how hiring anybody that, I didn't at least know about, mm-hmm. and right. fairly extensively. Um, and then there, I, it was important to have very experienced musicians. Right. Yeah. And the good thing about the D.C. area is there's so many different kinds of music that people can be a part of, mm-hmm. and musicians can play. There's, of course, the classical, then you have um, the shows that and and the the dinner theaters and then you have the opera house and right. then you I mean there's just thing. exactly so there's so many different kinds of music that um, musicians have an opportunity to play here so really finding people that had done a lot of everything was mm-hmm. important to me and we're currently doing a lot of everything right. not someone who like oh yeah I remember they did a lot of shows you know yeah. There was a time when I did X, Y, and but they were in the process exactly. of being very versatile musicians in terms of the kinds of work they took on a every week basis. Exactly. You know. And that's another good thing. There's such a um, a high, a professional and high caliber uh, level of freelancers here because mm-hmm. of the military bands and the, and the orchestras and that that it was it wasn't hard to find those musicians who had had such extensive experience with all kinds of music right and in terms of like local orchestras what are some who are some of the key orchestras that are in the this DC Virginia Maryland area well you have national symphony mm-hmm. you have the opera house mm-hmm. you have a lot of regional orchestras you have baltimore symphony annapolis symphony right, right. um national philharmonic and mm-hmm. then in addition to that, are all the all the military uh, bands and orchestras that just draw incredible talent. Exactly. And Dave, I know you can speak to the military musicians even more so because having been one for 20 years in the Navy Commodores, um, yeah, that's a unique thing here. Here in the D.C. area, we have so many great musicians in the military, both classical and jazz. Did a lot of the brass players come from there? Well, a lot of them did. Yeah. But... 
Dan LaMaestra, who you just mentioned, and I have been friends for 16 years. Mm -hmm. We both joined the Navy Band mm -hmm. Commodores yep. Jazz Ensemble together. And several years ago, he, you know, in, in our friendship, he, he asked what my wife did. And I told mm -hmm. him that she's a great cellist and mm -hmm. she plays a lot of gigs around town. Mm -hmm. And he was he has a wedding business. Right. So he started using Marianne for that. And so he trusted Marianne. And had had a long history with her by history. the time we, we got to this record. So when you, you've been working with Dan for a long time yeah, as well. Yeah. So when you approached Dan about doing this project, he immediately thought of Marianne mm -hmm. and, and I, of course. Mm -hmm. And I also play both classical and jazz. Mm -hmm. So I know, and I've been in town for about 25 years. Right. So I know both gr the great jazz players in town and the great classical And players. you know where they intersect, which is a unique skill, I think, in terms of contracting. Exactly. Something Dan brought to it as well. Uh, but, yeah, that was what, to me, was going to be considerably or potentially tricky about this music, finding exactly. people who could comfortably play it because there wasn't there were no solos that people right. it wasn't like Style. anybody had a had a had a right they had a written place that said improvise there there that never happened once except for the guitar stuff but that isn't what we're talking about. So the issue became what you just said, style. Style. Can, can you speak to that a little bit well, more? Well, Marianne was comfortable, obviously, hiring the strings and mm -hmm. figuring out which string players to use. And then I felt a little more comfortable, although she knows a lot of brass and woodwind players mm -hmm. in the area. I'm sure. She felt, so we worked together on getting the best brass and woodwind players mm -hmm. that we could. And it was very important for us, of course, to get a, a very high level of musicianship. But we also wanted people that were flexible right? because the music is not just straight classical. It's right. not just straight jazz. Right. It's a really interesting um, collection of both types of music. Right. And so we wanted people that were just flexible and that have, have a lot of experience doing that kind of thing. Right. And exactly. so we just put our heads together and thought, oh, the, these people, we made a list of people. We talked mm -hmm. to Dan about it. And mm -hmm. it was a process, but it was kind of a fun process. Yeah. And a we lot of these people are our friends. And so it was. Re I just felt when we were doing the sessions, wow, we're making great music. It's on a very high level, and we're doing it with our friends. Right. Oh, it's, and that's so important. Yeah. I mean, in, when I lived in L.A., people used to say all the time, well, he's a really good keyboardist, but he doesn't tell good jokes. <laughs> you know, and there was some, it was some of that sense of just like here in, in the D.C. area when it comes to, for lack of a better word, classical, I'm using my quotation fingers, musicians, there's no shortage of people who can do the gig. It's not, that's not the issue. It really is the issue of how they're going to, this specific music, but then how they're going to play and interact together. Sure. And friends is part of that. Sure. So it's very hard to separate those two things, I think. Well, not many brass players I can speak for in D.C. are not in a, it was a double negative, are not, are not in a military band. <laughs> right, Most of I them see. are in a military band. Mm -hmm. There are some exceptions. Mm-hmm. But we, we reached out to people in the Kennedy Center Opera House and the National Symphony and professors at University of Maryland. Right. And, oh, and wow. we just wanted to wanted to be in George Mason. They're right. all coming back to me now. Yeah, yeah. So we wanted to reach out to just the people that we thought would be a great hang and, and be flexible with whatever Jonathan wanted, whatever you right, wanted, whatever right. Dan wanted. And that could just work easily and have a great attitude and also sound fantastic. And I yeah, think we, yeah. I think we accomplished oh, that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, <clears throat> I think the other thing, too, is that it's slightly different, you know, because we're in the recording studio. And now I imagine there are some recording studio projects where a, a, an orchestra records and they don't wear headphones. 
I mean, they just follow the conductor and they play like they play. And it's somebody else's job to make sure that's captured on on tape or digitally or whatever. But this was different in that every musician was wearing headphones or at least half a headphone. Um, They're hearing a click track. So they have to be comfortable with that. And, And as we know, you know, from living in both of these worlds, classical music is not does not groove the no. the same. I mean, it, it does and it doesn't. To me, groove is a a, a bigger word than just boom, 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 boom. Right, you know, right. but um, <clears throat> but they don't in in that they they flow. Um, whereas um, you know, pop and again my finger quotations, pop music, which is everything else, um, it's almost always about treating that click like it's some kind of a a, a, a pocket. You know, mm-hmm. so um, I, I think that was part of what you guys did, too, was you found musicians who were going to be comfortable wearing headphones, playing to a click. And then on top of all that, there were tracks in their headphones, the demo guitar parts I played, the demo drums when the drums were part of it and so on. So they were interacting not exactly like they were trying to play to those parts, but they needed to know where they were. And I think um, I'm, I mean, did you pay much attention to those um tracks that were in the headphones oh absolutely you did yeah, yeah before especially before we actually started the session right we dan right. sent out the tracks and we could practice it with that right and right. then during it yeah we uh, all the musicians we hired i feel like have a lot of experience with that kind of thing with that mm-hmm. kind of thing but, in the studio yeah. even if they're orchestral orchestral players they would have played sessions that that involve this and so i feel like with the experience they had they have done so many different types of things yeah. that this was not like an unusual right, thing exactly. for them. And Marianne, with the string players, I'd imagine you have a different issue, which is, or not a different issue, but another issue, which is how they play together in sections mm-hmm. is something else. How, how did you go about picking players in that regard ba- based on your experience with them in orchestras primarily? Or did that also have that, something to do with friendship? <laughs> that friendship... Um, I think I think people uh, string players who have played in a section a lot. Mm-hmm. There, there's different kinds of string players. There's string players that are used to playing in a section, so they know they they can blend with, you know, with their eyes closed. Mm-hmm. They they know that the job is to sound like one, and everybody's working together. Mm-hmm. And then you have musicians who you know they know that, but. <laughs> They want to be heard. <laughs> they want to be heard, right, right? Right, and so that's that's always something that you're you're sort of thinking about. As and the personalities have a lot to do with it mm-hmm. too. You yes. definitely have people that, um, you know, they they're more comfortable just sitting back and letting someone mm-hmm. else take mm-hmm. take over. And then you have section leaders who they really want to lead. They like right. they like the extra responsibility. Mm-hmm. They feel that they can make it sound better. That that their leadership will make the the section more together and, and i imagine you want those people to you be the leaders you absolutely want them yeah. to be and leaders and i should mention yes. that you were the you led the cello section uh and you know uh, that and this is my own ignorance and i don't mind showing it because i'm <laughs> learning too mm-hmm. um do the, the other three cellists in these sessions are they more pinned uh, into listening to you than they are any of the other players is that are they following no. you how does that work well it, the in every string section 
you want to make sure that you're matching what the principal is doing because I the principal see, right. usually has like the inside track. And they by the of, principal, you mean the, the, the concert master or, or you the mean first chair of that the first section. chair and like, like you were right. in the, like the myself, cellos, right? Jennifer Reese, mm-hmm. Christian, mm-hmm. Uh, Jennifer Ricard. Mm-hmm. They're all the principals. Right. Um, but I can say in, in the cello section, all the, all the players, I've sat with them in orchestras and they've been principal or they've, they've been section players. So right. again, just they're, they're very knowledgeable players. They're experienced with both. They're experienced with playing in a small section mm-hmm. where you're going to be heard more. Mm-hmm. And, and with that comes a new set of responsibilities. That's a whole nother thing. Yeah, exactly. You have to work even harder not mm-hmm. to stand out, but then at the same time, there's less room for error because you can't hide. Right. That's right. Ken, yeah. getting back to your question about, What's different about playing in a studio mm-hmm. for an orchestra musician mm-hmm. and in a live orchestral oh, setting? Oh, right, right. I, I just thought the biggest the biggest difference is listening. Mm-hmm. So when we're playing in an orchestra, I'm listening to the trombone section mm-hmm. very keenly, the low brass section, mm-hmm. and then the principal trumpet and the whole brass, the brass as a whole. And then right. listening to the woodwinds, seeing where I'm matching up with the strings, the basses. These are in priority of what you're focusing on. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes. yeah it depends on the Just music. Your yeah. ears are giant, listening right. to everything. Right, right, right. And in this, in the recording studio, you just can't do that because right. you have one headphone on, one right. off. Right. So all I'm doing is trying to listen to the principal trumpet, who is Chris Gecker, mm-hmm. getting back to somebody who's experienced. Mm-hmm. Right. And a non-military. Has he ever played in the military? No, never been in the military. I didn't think so. I just. An aside, but I was curious when he was. He's a star. Yeah, he was in yeah. New York City for right. a couple decades, 20, 30 years. Wow. Has done everything. So, uh, right. Played with the New York Philharmonic, mm-hmm. the uh, famous brass quintet. He's mm-hmm. done countless recordings on his own, solo mm-hmm. recordings. Mm-hmm. So he's a guy that's done. 20, 25 solo recordings oh, on yeah. his own. I, I, I listened, I would just say to my Alexa, you know, Alexa, play, <laughs> play Chris Gecker. And <laughs> yeah, and I had no, what, what do you want to hear? <laughs> so he he's so experienced in yeah. doing so many. And, and, and did some pop things sting. again. I hate using that word, right. but right. it's just an easy, yeah, sting, people, do, you know, it's interesting for people to know that. By the way, I, I, I little aside, for my listeners, can you explain to them, either of you can answer this question, um, why you would only wear one headphone? And have one off. Because if you had both headphones on, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, then all you're hearing is what's coming through to you. You right. can't hear the musicians next to you. Right. Which, then how can you blend? How can you tune? How right. can you do anything? Yeah, even tuning, because that mm. actually, headphones, most casual, even serious listeners don't know that unless they've recorded that you you have the headphones will slightly change the tuning of, course, of, yeah. of your your perception. And then you will, of course, play to that and right. be out of tune. But where the woodwinds were located in mm-hmm. the studio, it was unless they had a solo line or something right. like that, when it was 2D, when everyone was right. playing, it was very difficult yeah. to hear yeah. anything, which is which is different right. than in the than live, in a live situation. Right. That's so right. that was a challenging thing for us. Yeah. But we just depended on, on them tuning to themselves, us mm-hmm. tuning to uh, uh, ourselves mm-hmm. and just having musicians that are used to doing this and it all came together. There were some things that I noticed right away, uh, different key moments where I tuned notes in the mix. You know, I was able to isolate enough, a French horn note that was a little sharp, whatever, you know, in the context, I got to believe that Mozart or Beethoven, if they had those tools, they would be doing that. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I so. yeah, you know, I mean, all they cared about, I imagine was what they heard in their head. And like and I said, I mean, if you're, you're going back and, and, and changing that, but 
it at could very be, few places. Absolutely, I have to point of course, out. Yeah. of course. But if if a horn player or a clarinet player or just throwing these instruments out, mm-hmm. if they're playing, you could you could put the tuner on, and that person could be at four forty, four forty one. But that's then right. they might not have been able to hear something that's going on around them right because right. of the headphone exactly. studio situation and so you're tweaking a little and, and likewise that 440.4 right. is actually preferable to 440 all the time right 440 meaning perfectly locked and tuned to to a you know uh, the finest degree you could that that is not actually what makes great music uh and and i think and jazz groups know that because they know that when it's not about things don't really groove, whether it's R and B or jazz or even rock, when everything is Perfect. perfectly in a, in a in a grid. That is mm-hmm. not what makes feel. And I think the same thing is true with an orchestra when you talk about tuning. That is not what makes for the most expressive performances. Sure. And, right. and it can't. And it's because that's why I went to all this trouble and expense because that's I knew that that was going to happen. Now. I didn't know how it was going to happen, and hence, you know, the first couple minutes of each song, uh, you know, just going, is this going to get more in tune here? And I'd even say things to Jonathan, which, you know, I don't know, uh, I want to talk about that next, uh, so maybe this is a good way to segue into it. I had a microphone to Jonathan that, that only he heard, you know, and it was interesting the way things would come out at the other end he was a wonderful <laughs> translator he was unbelievable yeah he, he did was a, great yeah. he was the right amount of everything right he right really right. was yeah. and just like you guys he understood not just conceptually those two worlds of pop and classical or jazz and classical but he has lived in both worlds and and mm-hmm. so blending them was just as natural for him as it was for you guys and so i think that that I mean, he could have done exactly what he did, but if it was the wrong set of musicians, they might not have really been able to benefit from what he brought to the podium, so to speak. Not only is he a fantastic musician, like you just mentioned, and an experienced conductor and all that stuff, but his vibe was Mm -hmm. just perfect. He was calm. He was nice to everybody. Mm -hmm. He was professional. Mm -hmm. He was cool. He was Mm -hmm. funny. Right, he just right. set the perfect stage <laughs> mm-hmm. for musicians to feel relaxed yeah. because we're on a time crunch, obviously yeah, in the studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but we're on a time crunch. You got to get everything done, and and you want to you know do retakes and all that. But you also want all the musicians to feel as relaxed as possible and having a yeah. good time, right, To put right. out that great product. Oh, that's right, because that really does translate. Oh. It if, does. If people think the only thing to is to get through this. And and to put a check, then they play accordingly. And if or if, if if they think that you're not getting what you want, you're unhappy. It begins to translate, I mm-hmm. think, into the performance. It won't sound as relaxed. No, yeah. no, that that's right. And I, and I think Jonathan, among other things, did that. Now I'm, I'm wondering. I have a question specific about conducting style as it relates to time. And we had a couple songs on this album: "The Grace of Summer Light" and "The Stars Snow the Fire." That had were in what are called odd time signatures. Now, now my goal as composer is to make it so they don't sound odd, mm-hmm. but the musicians are the ones who have to translate that into not sounding odd. You know, it's in the writing, but it's also in the way that they play it so that it just sounds like they're just playing. Right. Um, so I have seen on a couple um, uh, pieces of music that some conductors, I won't mention their names, have, have let me look at, where somebody, a player, wrote on the music, never look up. 
which is a way of saying for my audience, it's a way of saying the conductor is of no use to me. So don't even bother looking at him. I would like to take the fifth. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm sure you've dealt with all types. And and obviously, Jonathan was on the high end of things, the good end. Um, But how and when we were playing those odd time signature ones, like let's say the stars, the snow, the fire, which was Mm -hmm. primarily in seven. How for you, Marianne, did 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 his did you need to watch him? Did he help you in any ways to get through some of those trickier places? Or by the time you went in, you knew what you were doing and didn't need that? Because some musicians, I forget who, but during breaks, I would talk to people and just said, oh, it's really helpful the way he's conducting Mm -hmm. these odd time signatures. I can see what's happening. Right. The thing the thing about him was he was his his. Uh, baton was very accurate. Mm-hmm. It wasn't flowery. You weren't mm-hmm. thinking, okay, where's two? Where's seven? It wasn't anything like that. Just boom, boom. It was. Mm-hmm. It was just very consistent. I see. Right. And for us, I mean, the music was challenging. Mm-hmm. First of all, it was very fast. And then you mm-hmm. had for string players, classically trained string players who are experienced in other kinds of music, but that's their forte. Right. Um, you know, we've got our we've we've got so many notes mm-hmm. and so many changes. Mm-hmm. It's not like Dave in the Commodores where he's just used to all these different right, things. Right. We're not used to it. Right. Or we're not as comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot of following, you know, your head your head in this in the music. Right, right. But then through the corner of your eye you've got to see this strong beat. Right. That knowing it's there. Yes. Yeah. That that keeps you it's sort of like, you know, you're a ship and mm-hmm. that's your rudder. Mm-hmm. And and I would compare it to that. Never That's once great. did I look up and think, "Where is he?" Right, right. <laughs> it wasn't right, like that at all. Right, it was which just... is the last thing you need when you're. I, I mean, trust me, and I mean the listeners, the people who already have the album when they hear this will know it right. never sounds like anybody's head is buried in anything. It sounds like people right. are performing and 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 mixing it and spending as much time as I did with it. I would marvel myself as I as I would look at the score and some of those string parts would go by in grace. Right. Uh, I would just go, wow, I, I had to think, count that for a moment. Right. And I know and I wrote it. Yeah, yeah, no, they... And, and and of course, there's a click going. It's not yes. like they are uh, free to interpret it and make it comfortable. They've they've got and and then later, you know, Dave Weckl, the the you know one of the world's top five jazz drummers, is going to play to that. Right. So that, you know, sometimes people would do it the other way around, and we of course had a drum track for everybody to play to. But that's the other thing that that you're having to take in mm-hmm. while while you're you're playing this difficult music and having Jonathan be there. And I, th- I think it's wonderful the way you put it. It's like, you know, that that's our anchor, so to speak. Exactly. Or however you want to, I think you said rudder, I'm not, you know. Anchor, whichever rudder, one, right? both good, both descriptive. <laughs> but the, it, it, it really does matter, I think, um, that that he was like that. And, you know, mm-hmm. we, we would come home uh, every night before he and I would be up here till midnight going through what we're going to do the next day. Right. Uh, just, you know, I had pages and pages of notes for each song right. uh, of like by sections with like everything that was going to happen. <laughs> Cause I didn't want to be looking at the score. I wanted to be listening, you know, Well, that's another thing about um, Jonathan that I really appreciated. Some conductors, uh, they, they get very, uh, you know, very chatty about what they want. And after a while, you're just like, can we just <laughs> <That's> play? <great. laughs> right, right. And he would just 
keep it short and to yeah. the point and, yeah. you know, one or two sentences, you know, mm-hmm. okay, Ken wants us, to, uh, everyone to be blah, blah, blah here. Right, so, right. you know, keep that in mind when you get to it. Yeah. That was it. He I kept was, people I, I on. Was, sorry. Yeah. No, I was going to say he kept people on track. And, and like you were saying, Dave, he was, he was funny and, and he was, he was personable, but never like off on a thing. No, you right. know, wasn't wasting any time. No, no, no. But I was going to speak on the last thing you said mm-hmm. about staying up till midnight and mm-hmm. being organized. Mm-hmm. And Marianne and I have both done a lot of recording sessions at different studios. They're all, it's always a lot of fun to do a session and to do a CD and to do uh, jingles or whatever we're doing. Mm-hmm. But some are more organized than others. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. They're oh, they really are always a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Different experiences. Yeah. But this experience was truly a, such a great time. It was truly so organized, and that was really a pleasure. Nobody, the musicians. I can speak for the musicians. None of them. They all had a great time. They didn't right. feel mm-hmm. like any time was being wasted. We would go take after take and and mm-hmm. do a few takes and, here and, and there. But but we all felt as though. But this need this needs to be done, and it was just done in a relaxed way, and and you know at the break time everybody was hanging out and having a nice time, and and, and we had to yeah. go back in. We were looking forward to playing more music, and oh, that's great to hear. Yeah. I'm really glad. It really it, was I mean, just a fantastic experience. It, 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 was. it translates it was. into the into the into the recording, I think, mm-hmm. and and uh, so let's just switch gear a little bit. I'm wondering if there were any pieces that, in particular, you said. You know, I've, I've I've got a section here, or the brass in general have a section here, or the trombones in particular have something here that is going to be problematic, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little more on my toes for that, or watching what Jonathan's going to do, or listening to what Ken's comments might be, if any. You know, great question. I feel like a couple of the tunes. The stars, the snow, the fire. That mm-hmm. was one in particular that mm-hmm. is a is a longer tune, and it's a time chart, and it's something that we're all um, going to be a little more focused on. Mm-hmm. But the music, none of the parts you wrote for trombone were particularly, or trumpet mm-hmm. were particularly technically right crazy right or anything, which, which is not by accident. And as you know, because you and I were emailing back and forth, sure. and I could tell, I would say, "Is this going to be okay here? Is it too?" You know, and I could tell by your response, it was like you're not really touching what's going to be hard for me yet. Well, uh, but that's what I wanted. Right. I didn't, I didn't want to make it about, especially parts that were part of a whole. I didn't want to make those. I mean, it's one thing to write something difficult for a soloist. At least they have the room to do that. But as part of an ensemble, I wanted to try to make sure that everybody was well within their comfort zone to give the best performance. So It really came yeah. through that way. I mean, and like you said before with the time time charts, they they didn't sound... You know, like you're counting to seven every right, time or anything right, like that. Right, they were just right. they just flowed, and that's really the sign of a great piece of music, like Stravinsky. Right, exactly. I played the music of Stravinsky, yeah, of course, and, yeah. and then Chris Potter. Right, his right. music is a lot of time chart. And right, it's, right. It, it, at least his big band stuff, yeah, and it's yeah. so it, it just doesn't sound that way. It's just right. so beautiful, and it shouldn't. I mean. Right. Odd time signature is just a Math. way for us to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's just a way for us to say not four, four, three, four, you right. know, but it shouldn't be odd. And in fact, you know, again, for the listener, seven, four really is a combination of of time signatures that you are comfortable with. Sure. It could be four, four, a bar of four and a bar of three is a bar of seven. It could be two bars of two and a bar of three, you know, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one. But it's it's the arc of that feeling like you're not 
having to count that way. So at least for the brass, I didn't yeah. feel like there was anything. I think some of the woodwind parts were a little challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for the brass or trombone at least, it nothing really came out as, wow, that's a very difficult technical mm-hmm. thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the, you know, chop-wise, it was a mm-hmm. little, you know, we do take after take after sure. take. We need some rest. Um, but other than that, it was not too technically crazy. That's great. Challenging. Yeah. Well, and I, I, you know, that was another thing I learned from being there for the first time. You know, I'm used to players like rhythm section players and jazz group players. You know, if you say, okay, we're going to do a six take, everybody kind of sucks it up. And even if they feel like they just did the take, they suck it up and try to do an even better one. And one of the things that I found with the orchestra was that, that, uh, particularly uh, the, the wind players, the woodwinds, the brass, but, and particularly the, the trombone, the brass, trombones and the trumpets. Um, once they gave you that performance, when you went and did another one, they certainly did the best they could. But the nature of the instrument is that you can't, you're, you're thinking about you have three more hours to go. You're pacing. And yeah, you can't. And if you feel like, I know I did a really good, the last two takes, I've nailed everything. And now we're going to do another one. Um, it's you you I learned just from listening later I didn't really hear it so much at the time that not, it's not like people are holding back it's a little hard to explain it's just they're not going to blow their brains out to give you that seventh take right. when they know you already have what you you need from them um and you know and many times the seventh take was great for everybody but there were also times where I'd go oh yeah okay you know the ones to and that became a consistent pattern that I wasn't that was something I wasn't used to uh, because most of the instruments I dealt with up to that point I mean I don't consider saxophone the same sort of taxing thing as trumpet and trombone you never want to leave as a brass player you never want to end the day whether it's an eight-hour session day or an orchestra two orchestra rehearsals or a long concert you never want to leave the end of the day thinking I can't play another note right right so you're constantly pacing right and taking it easy and just pacing how you're gonna how you're gonna play the instrument yeah way. yeah no it, it's um, so and with 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 cello specifically Marianne um, outside of the time signature issues and of course grace we talked about the speed of that mm-hmm. i forget the metronome marking but it's like a quarter note equals 180 which yes. is dick, 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 dick. Yes. It, you know and it doesn't always feel like that but you're having to read like that mm-hmm. um were there any elements uh where you or particular songs where you felt like okay that's something that we in the jazz world say i have to shed you know oh yeah well note wise it wasn't difficult really? but it, it's exposed that's, so that's for sure. So um, all of all the music, I definitely went over multiple times, mm-hmm. just because, as I alluded to earlier, when you're in a big sec- section, there's safety in numbers. You mm-hmm. can miss a note, and mm-hmm. you know nobody knows because mm-hmm. there's well nine except, others except me when I'm mixing it. <laughs> right, but when there's four of you, you want to make sure that you're right. not missing the note, right. and right, that's and, right. Uh, if the note is going to be missed at mm. someone else. <laughs> right, right, right. So um, the stars was the biggest one. I think you're actually referring to the song, The Grace of Summer Light. That was a challenge. It was a challenge because of the rhythm and mm-hmm. because of the speed. Mm-hmm. So that was one that I definitely looked at multiple times before and became very comfortable with because mm-hmm. once you get in the studio, you you know, it's just going to go. And there are other distractions, too. Exactly. So if you're not co- confident, right. you know, that 
if, if you don't have an extra, uh, for me, I'm speaking more for myself, but I imagine the same for you too. If I don't have an extra 25% of brain power, I can right. find myself suddenly on empty, you know, yeah. and, 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 and draining, <laughs> Right. you know, so. Uh, th- Even though we already had the recordings, mm-hmm. it's not the same as when you get there and you're like, oh, everyone's oh, yeah. sitting in a different place. That's right. What you're hearing is not what you were hearing on the recording. Right. You know, by you're hearing the way, something totally different. Right. And by the way, what you're referring to with the recordings was my demos. Right. Um, and and we also gave each player access, if they cared to do it, to what I would call music minus one parts, where mm-hmm. they could play with or without. Um, not everything was like this, but 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 point is you had something to listen to. Uh, but it, it didn't budge. Right. Uh, and it was a perfect or a decent mix, not right. the same mix that you would get sitting in, in, in your chair. In fact, where you were, you were all the way on one side of the mm-hmm. orchestra, uh, you know, to the, to the right of the conductor, right. uh, the far right of the conductor. Um, and so that's a whole different thing, too. You, you know, you're, you're only going to hear <clears throat> so much. You're hearing the most important part of what you need to hear, the other, the other cellists and the rest of the strings. But it's not I, like hearing everything equally. Well, mm-hmm. without, without the headphones and, and uh, what, what I was hearing, mm-hmm. there's no way I would have known what the woodwinds were doing. Right, they were just too right, far away. Right, right. And right. Um, I, I do remember thinking, oh. I hear the flute. Oh, I hear the. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay, that's great. That that yeah. really angers me here, but um, <clears throat> definitely, it was it, the, the just like you were saying when you first hear the orchestra play. You mm-hmm. know, ten o'clock on Tuesday, mm-hmm. you're like, uh, here we go. Yeah, and it was sort of like that on a couple of tunes, mm-hmm. and then. And then once you get through it, it's like, oh, this, okay, I get it now. And it, right. it just seemed to flow after that. And then that. Jonathan made everything just feel, hey, we played it the first time. It wasn't perfect. Right. He w- We would stop. He'd go, oh, yeah, great reading. Okay, let's right. go over a couple of things. Right. Maybe rehearse mm-hmm. something for a minute. Right, right. And then mm-hmm. let's do it again. It was so much better. And that relaxation uh, that Jonathan made everybody feel, it was key. Yeah, not having that sense of... of you know, we're not here. we're not quite right. making it. I can tell right. he's not really. You know, he's wor- the last thing you want to have a conductor or anybody really convey is that you're nervous. You know, which is what he did so well from me in the booth, mm-hmm. which was taking me. You know, saying whatever I said and with whatever tone of voice I said it, and it coming out like the other end, like. Well, Ken loves what's happening here, <laughs> but he's he's wondering what it would be like if if the trumpets were just plated a little bit more, and then he'd use his own words, Burt Bacharach, like right, you know, right. yeah. like that's yeah. right. He knows yeah. what I I've known Jonathan a very very long time, and um, uh, you know, besides being really confident in him, I know that he's confident in me too, mm-hmm. and and so you know, he 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 knows that he can kind of read me more than maybe somebody who was just doing the gig. Right, you know? sure. Uh, so, well, I really appreciate you guys spending this time today. Oh, uh, my listeners are going to love this. It's 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 a window into a world that um, most people don't have. And I, I think this particular world is unique because it's joining these two worlds of music, classical and jazz together. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I thank you again for not only being such wonderful players and doing such a great job with your own playing but getting just the right people together and and putting a family of musicians together that was so matched to this music and to me and 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 to um uh well really the music is what it's all about well i felt and the musicians i spoke to all felt that the music was so unique it was it was fun it was 
unique and it was wonderful and it was it was so musical and it was a pleasure to play it and it's not like anything I've ever heard before really right. yeah well, right. I'm hoping the world will see it that right. way too I've been right. already you know uh, it's been nice to see the way people are reacting they're just accepting it for what it is not not no one seems confused putting or a label all. on it or yeah anything. right mm-hmm. they're not off put that it's like oh this is not if anything it's the other way around where they're where they're going, well, this is something I've never heard before, and I really like it, period. You know, right. and, and in the end, that's what it's about. The listener's job, while I think they're going to really enjoy hearing this kind of detail on, on our podcast as well as some of the other ones I'm doing, um, in the end, their job is just to take it in and get something that goes to their heart and their soul. That's why they, honestly, I don't buy music. I don't put money down for a concert or or an or a, a cd or a download or whatever unless it moves me in some way otherwise right. it's a study why you know? not right yeah and so that's in the end what it's about and i'm just so happy to see that the the way we did this together has created um a, a, a final outcome that does that for well people, this music was you know? moving but it's also interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is a great combination. Yeah. Well, thank you for right. saying yeah. that. I appreciate it. And thanks again for doing this today. Of course. You bet. Thanks okay. for having us. Yeah. Sure. So that was my conversation with David and Marianne Perkel, two of the finest musicians I've ever had the privilege to work with, and two musicians whose expertise went beyond just their playing of their respective instruments into the forming of not only an orchestra made up of excellent musicians, but an orchestra that became a living, breathing organism for my music and my orchestrations. So um, anyway, thank you again for joining me. This is one of a series of podcasts. Uh, There should be a total of five when we're all done. And uh, I invite you to continue to listen not only to these podcasts for my new album, Music for Guitar and Orchestra, but my whole series of podcasts that go all the way back about 12 or 13 years at this point. There's a lot to listen for. And if you haven't picked up your copy yet of Music for Guitar and Orchestra, you can get a signed copy at my website, www.kennavarro.com. And you can get it at Amazon, iTunes, if you like to stream music, you can get it at Apple Music and Spotify and so many other places, as well as many retail stores around the country. Yes, retail stores still exist where you can buy CDs. So anyway, thanks again for listening. I'm Ken Navarro, and I'll see you on the next one.